Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles together tonight to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. And we'll get right into the Word of God together this evening. I want to preach to you tonight on the topic of temptations to compromise. Temptations to compromise. All around us, Christians and churches and Christian institutions are compromising or being compromised by error. You know, there are some things that we can and we should compromise on. Sadly, over the years, many things have been made a hill to die on that should never have been a made, made a hill to die on. You know, the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls is not a good reason uh, to split and start Second Baptist Church, you know. There are some things that we can disagree on and we can compromise a little bit that really aren't that important. But then there are many things that we should never compromise on. We should never compromise on the truth. We should never compromise our personal convictions. And we should never compromise our obedience to God. But sadly, many people do. What leads people and institutions and churches to compromise essential doctrines and core beliefs? There are many reasons, I suppose, but... In a story that we find in the life of King Saul, we see several of them illustrated for us tonight. Let's begin reading in verse number one. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in, in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an offering of the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Samuel went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, for thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. 
The people, or excuse me, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. I want to draw your attention to verse number 11, where King Saul gave three excuses for his disobedience. First, he gave the excuse of desertion. He said, I saw that the people were scattered from me. Second, he gave the excuse of delay. Thou camest not within the days appointed. And finally, he gave the excuse of danger. The Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. You know, with those three excuses, Saul convinced himself that it was okay to disobey God. And he offered an unauthorized sacrifice that God had commanded only the priests should offer. What Saul faced were common temptations that we all face. Temptations to compromise. Situations that we find ourselves in. And in those situations, we are, are, uh, begin to have an inner dialogue with ourselves that maybe it wouldn't be so important to continue to hold to this standard or this belief. Maybe we can, we can uh, uh, you know, kind of just fudge on things a, a, a little bit. And maybe it's really not that important. Or as Saul said here, maybe it's more important that I go ahead and offer the sacrifice than to risk going into a battle having not made supplication. But in these situations where we are tempted to compromise, we have to stand firm on the truth of the Word of God. The Bible gives us the answer to each of these excuses that Saul gave. We must be careful not to give in to the temptation to compromise, no matter how dire the circumstances might seem, because there is never a good excuse to disobey God. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us as we look at your word tonight. Help us to see in the life of Saul our own tendencies to compromise the truth and to disobey you. And to recognize that we have the same temptations, but we do not have to give in as he did. We can stay true to you and to your word by your grace. Minister this truth to our hearts tonight, I pray, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice the first temptation that Saul faced in verse number 11. It's the temptation of desertion. Now let's set the scene here. The Bible tells us in verse number 1 that Saul has been king over Israel for now going on his second year. And so far he has seen a, a, a pretty good amount of victory. He's established himself pretty well as a, as a new king and as the first king of all of Israel. And and he decides he's got enough peace and everything's under control. He's going to disband his army for a little bit, save for 3,000 chosen men. 2,000 he keeps with himself, 1,000 uh, he, uh, he leaves with his son Jonathan, and he, Jonathan's in charge of them. Well, shortly after this, Jonathan has an opportunity uh, to assault a garrison of Philistines. And he does that, and he's victorious. Well, the Philistines, of course, are not going to take this lying down. And so they begin to mount a, a counterattack against the Israelites. And their intention is to use overwhelming force to punish the Israelites for their rebellion. And so Saul sounds the alarm. He blows the trumpet and he tells all of the soldiers that haven't been home that long, hey, you got to come back. We've got another fight. We've got a fight. It's the Philistines again and they are coming armed to the teeth and there's a whole bunch of them. And so he got, gathers them all back together and the Bible tells us that when they gather together, 
uh, at Gilgal, the people saw the overwhelming force of the Philistines and they got scared. It says that they were hiding in caves and thickets and rocks and high places and pits. And some people even left entirely and they went across the Jordan River to the other side and they said, we're getting out of Dodge, we're getting away from here. And so Saul was left with just a handful of very frightened people, those who followed him trembling, but many people who had deserted to hide in the wilderness or to get out of that region entirely. Now, let's be honest, the problem that Saul was facing here was a real problem. We don't discount that. Saul and the Israelites were terribly outnumbered and overpowered. Look at the list that was given of the might of the Philistines here. They came with, uh, um, with a, a huge number of men. It says there's so many that they were like the, the sands of the sea. Uh, that they couldn't even count them. In verse number 5, there were 30,000 chariots. Now, I'm trying to put it in, in terms that we can kind of understand. We don't fight with chariots anymore when we go into battle. So what would a chariot be like in a modern day equivalent? Well, if you can think of a modern day tank, all right, that would roughly be the equivalent of a chariot in Saul's day. All right, this was a fast-moving vehicle that transported troops and weaponry, and it was considered very deadly. And there were 30,000 of them. Can you imagine being in a city like Atlanta and an army comes in with 30,000 tanks? I mean, that'd be worse than 5 o'clock rush hour on a Tuesday afternoon, you know? I mean, it would just be overwhelming. But then it says there were 6,000 horsemen. Now, these were single men on horses. And I think the roughest, or the best equivalent we could give to that would be kind of like a fighter jet today. Very fast moving, very lethal, get in, get out, very fast. Can you imagine 6,000 fighter jets coming to attack the little town of Rutledge? I mean, that would be overwhelming. And so there's this huge army, can't even count them all, 30,000 tanks, 6,000 fighter jets. And what does Israel have? Not a whole lot. We don't even know exactly how big their army is. We know that in all, all total, they had uh, uh, somewhere north of 600,000 men, depending on where they're at, between the two numbers that we are given here in 1 Samuel. Uh, but they really, as far as fighting men who are well-armed and well-trained, it's obvious that what they saw, the Philistines, when they saw the Philistines, they said, you know what, we can't beat them. That's way bigger of a force than we can overcome. And so the people fled. Now put yourself in Saul's position. Here you are, the leader of the army. You've said, come on, we got to fight. We can do this. And everybody says, no, we can't. We're leaving. Not only was this a, 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 a commentary on the danger they were facing, it was a vote of no confidence in Saul's leadership. He was facing desertion. People had left him and said, I don't want to fight with you anymore, Saul. I don't want to be in this with you. I don't want to do this. And they left. So the first excuse he gave was to blame the people who deserted him. Why did I, send, why did I offer this sacrifice, Samuel? Because the people deserted me. That's why. You know, it's not uncommon for us to feel a strange temptation to compromise when people abandon us. When we are the object of that vote of no confidence. When people say, no, nope, I don't, I don't want to be involved with you anymore. And they move on and leave us alone. 
Because that's what people are saying when they walk away from you. Or walk away from the doctrines that we believe in. Look, I've, I have a number of people that I, I know personally, that I went to school with, that some of it, whom I were, was friends with over the years, that no longer believe what we believe. They used to, but they don't. They walked away. You know what they're saying? What they're saying when they do that is, what you believe is not worth believing anymore. That's a hard thing. For somebody to say to you, what you believe is wrong. What you believe isn't worth believing. And walk away. And when you experience that, there is a very real temptation to compromise and say, well, maybe, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe, maybe I've had it wrong. Maybe, maybe what the Bible says isn't absolutely true or whatever it might be. We're, question, we're tempted to question what we believe and, and what we do. And sometimes then we're tempted to do whatever it takes to get them back, especially if it's someone that's close to you, been a great friend or something like that, and they leave because of your beliefs or your, your standards or something like that. You don't want to lose that relationship. You don't want to lose that friendship. And sometimes you're tempted to compromise to get that back. Hey, okay, I'll, I'll tone it down a little bit. I, I won't be so quite so dogmatic on, on my beliefs. You know, I, I think about... In our modern day and age, one of the biggest areas that this is uh, showing up in, in families and churches and ministries, one of the areas, I should say, uh, is the issue of marriage and gender in our culture today. You know what I'm talking about, the adults in here tonight. You understand what I'm talking about. There are, a lot, there are people that may be in your family that don't like the stand that we take, that don't like your beliefs. And because you have made that known, they've deserted you. I say, well, if you're going to be like that, we're not going to invite you to the family outings. We're not going to invite you to the family reunions anymore. And they've ostracized you because of things like that. There's a temptation there to compromise for the sake of friendship, for the sake of family. Sometimes there's a, uh, there's a temptation to compromise when you've been the victim of desertion because you want to protect yourself from future attacks. You want to uh, 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 protect yourself from further desertion. And I think that may have been part of what was going on in Saul's mind here. It's like, I've got to do something to keep the people I've got here. I've got to do something. And so he compromised. Many Christians and churches and institutions have done the same thing. They've followed others into compromise or they've become the opposite end, the ungracious and overbearing, using threats and manipulation to try and force other people to say. And it's sin. Listen, desertion is not an excuse to compromise. Except this fact, that if you are going to follow God, usually you're going to be outnumbered. Let me say that again. If you're going to follow God, usually you're going to be outnumbered. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus himself said, many people will go the wrong way, few people will go the right way. And so if you find yourself in the minority, don't be surprised. Because you're going the right way, you're trying to do the right thing. There are many people who won't like it. If you're going to follow God, 
you're usually going to be outnumbered. I, I like what Jesus said to his disciples. Just a simple thing, but in Luke 12, 32, he looked at them and he said, Fear not, little flock. He didn't say, Fear not, great and large army. <laughs> he said, Fear not, little flock. We may just be a little flock, but we are sheep of the good shepherd. And we know this, that if we are on God's side, we're actually in the majority. We are actually in the majority. And we are guaranteed victory. We don't have to compromise in order to achieve victory. If we are in Christ and we are following Christ, we are guaranteed victory. Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We don't have to compromise to win. And we don't want to see people leave. We don't want people walk away from us. We grieve to see people walk away from the truth. But understand this, we don't have to compromise to appease them or compromise to win them back or compromise to make up for their loss. God will enable us to keep doing His work in their absence. And let's just, let me just be very honest with you. Sometimes God orchestrates events like that ultimately because He knows the body will function better. It's a... It's 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Desertion is no excuse to disobey. Number two, Saul used the excuse of delay. Look back at verse number 11. It says, And thou, speaking, Saul speaking to Samuel, thou camest not within the days appointed. So Samuel apparently had told Saul, gotten message to him, when you get everybody together, wait for me. I'll be there within the week. We'll offer the sacrifice and we'll get this thing started right. So Saul waits the appointed time, the seven days. And the preacher didn't show up. I know it's hard to believe a preacher could be late for anything, but Samuel was. We don't know why he was delayed. That's not told us in the passage. Maybe he had a flat tire on his chariot. I don't know. But Saul was worried because Samuel did not come in the appointed time. There was a delay. Notice something here too that falls, Paul, Saul's first excuse was to blame the people. His second excuse was to blame the prophet. Well, you know, the people that deserted me. And, you know, Samuel, you didn't come when you said you would. There was a delay here. In essence, he's saying, it's kind of your fault, Samuel, for not showing up when you said you would. Isn't that human nature to blame everybody else for our problems and our mistakes? But ironically, if Saul had just waited a short while longer, Samuel would have been there and would have offered the sacrifice. Look at verse number 10 again. It came to pass... That as soon as he made an end of the offering of the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. I mean, we're talking a matter of minutes. If Saul had just waited a few minutes longer, Samuel would have been there. Saul, however, was impatient. And impatience can lead to compromise. We hate waiting. 
We want to see big things happen quickly. That's what we like. We like to see the, the awesome stuff just boom, explode and take off and woo, it's exciting, you know. That's what we want to see. We want to see that as a church. We want to see that in our lives personally. We want to see just huge victories happen overnight. We don't like to wait. We're impatient. We want the hardships and the trials that we face to end quickly, don't we? That's what we want. Something happens in our life, messes up our plan, messes up our schedule, messes everything up, and we want it done now. Yesterday preferably, but if not yesterday, now. That's what we want. And because of that, we will be tempted to compromise to get results faster. I think about just about every type of consumer product that they make today has some element of the new, new models have some element of faster to it, right? Some element of faster. You know, buy this paint because it dries faster. Buy this car because it drives faster. Buy this phone because it operates faster. Uh, you know, come to this restaurant because the service is faster. And all of, everything is just about faster, quicker. And that desire for quick results can become a temptation to us to compromise. Well, you know, if you would just, you know, not be so hard-nosed on this particular belief of yours... You know, maybe your church would grow faster. Or, you know, you're, you're, you're struggling in this area in your life. You're having this particular problem. It'd be a very easy solution if you would just kind of fudge on your beliefs a little bit. Brother Riffle said he's going to write a book one day, uh, How I Would Have Made a Million Dollars If I Wasn't a Christian, you know. <laughs> he's all, you know. There's all kinds of things we think of. Ooh, I could do this. Oh, wait, no, I can't. God said don't, you know. Uh, and we, there's this temptation that we have sometimes to compromise to get quicker results. Remember, that was the essence of one of Jesus' temptations when the devil offered him the power and glory of all the earth's kingdoms if he would just bow and worship Satan. Look, Jesus is going to get the power and the glory of all earth's kingdoms one day. What Satan was offering him was a shortcut, the quick way, the easy way. But look, we need to remember something. Whenever we're faced with this temptation of impatience and wanting to compromise to get results faster, remember this. God not only knows what is best, he knows when is best. See, what Saul thought was, it's best to offer this sacrifice now. But what God said was, it's best to wait for the prophet. See, God had given very specific instructions in the Old Testament law, who could and could not offer certain sacrifices. And Saul was not authorized to give this kind of a sacrifice to God. By doing it himself, instead of waiting on the prophet, he compromised. Be willing to wait on God's timing in every area of your life. Whatever it is, be willing to wait on God's timing. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Psalm 37, 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. You know, this temptation of delay is very real, very hard sometimes for us because delay can become a temptation to despair as well. 
we imagine that there are certain deadlines. And that if God doesn't do something by such and such a time, well, then all hope is lost. And because we've convinced ourselves of that, we get closer and closer to that deadline, and the temptation gets greater and greater and greater, and we're tempted to compromise to go ahead and do something before that deadline, we imagine. Or the deadline comes and goes, and nothing happens, and we think, God failed me. This had to be taken care of by X day and such and such an hour, and nothing happened. God didn't hear me. God must not care. And we're tempted to lose hope and despair. God has never been late. Even when it seemed like He was, God has never been late. You remember the story of Lazarus, don't you? John chapter 11. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus' best friends, you know. They send word to Jesus, Mary and Martha do, that Lazarus is sick. And you know what the Bible says Jesus did? He tarried two more days. He waited on purpose, did not respond. When he finally gets to Bethany, the town that they lived in, what does Martha say? Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Come to find out, he'd already been dead four days by the time Jesus showed up. Now, you and I would look at that circumstance, having never read the story, we would say, it's too late, right? We'd say, it's too late. But Jesus knew what he was doing. You know the end of the story. He went to the tomb, told him to roll the stone away. He said what? Lazarus, come forth. Even four days after his death, it still wasn't too late for Jesus. Wait on God's timing. Jesus came exactly when it was best for Him to come. And He will do the same in your life. He will come and He will answer your prayer and He will solve your problem when it's best for Him to do it. Not when you think it's best, but when He knows it's best. Wait on God. It's too common that Christians and churches compromise to see faster results. And I think part of the problem is this. We have a wrong definition of results. You have a trial in your life. What is the result that you want? Usually it's for the trial to be over, right? We want it to end. And that's what we think of as the result. That's the end, that's the goal here. And so to achieve that, we're tempted to compromise. But you know, God has a totally different goal in mind for you and for me through our trials. God's God's goal for us is to learn, to draw closer to Him. And that takes time. I think it's because we're kind of stubborn and hard-headed, aren't we? So it takes time for God to teach us. It takes time for God to take us through the process. But because we define results as get this over with, we're tempted to compromise. Or let's use the example of a a ministry, a church ministry in particular. Uh, Results are usually measured by two things. People in the pew and pennies in the plate. Right? That's how you know if you've got a great church or not. How many people are in the pew? How many pennies are in the plate? And so to get more people and more pennies, 
churches are tempted to compromise. We acknowledge that people are important because that's what ministry is all about. And yes, we need resources and funds. They're important too. But an increase in numbers in either, either of these areas is not necessarily the result of God's blessing. 1 Timothy 6.5 says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Gain is not necessarily godliness. There's a lot of gain that has gotten the wrong way. The Catholic Church for many years, and probably still is, was the wealthiest institution on the planet. I ask you, was that God's blessing? No. A biblical view of results is this. We obey God by sowing the gospel seed and discipling believers, and we trust God to give the increase. Sometimes an individual Christian is tempted to compromise because they grow impatient with hardships. They want to take what seems like the easy way out. And so the wife seeks a divorce. The father abandons his family. The son turns to drugs and alcohol thinking that will bring him pleasure and happiness. Or the daughter runs away thinking she'll find a better life somewhere else. And all of these compromises are driven by one thought. I can get better results faster if I compromise. They think they can't hold out any longer under the pressure. But if they had just been patient and waited on the Lord, they would have found that God would have given them the endurance that they needed. If Saul had just waited a few more minutes, Samuel would have been there. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Delay is no excuse to disobey. And number three, let's notice the third excuse he gave, and that was the excuse of danger. Back in verse number 11, 1 Samuel 13, he says, And that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Now we've already looked at this. Was there a real threat from the Philistines? Yes. Absolutely. We'd be foolish to say otherwise. But that did not excuse his sin. And notice here, Saul first blamed the people. Then he blamed the prophet. And now he blames the Philistines. Well, you know, those people that deserted me. And, you know, Samuel, you were late. And if it wasn't for those Philistines gathering over there to hurt me, Saul blamed everybody around except for himself. He tried to lay the burden and the responsibility on everybody else and took none for him. Now about this temptation of danger, the threat was real. There's no doubt about that. He was afraid. And that's what it boiled down to. He was afraid. He was afraid. If I don't offer this sacrifice, then they, they, the Philistines might defeat us. And so he offered it himself, mistakenly thinking, having convinced himself, that it was more important to go through the ritual than it was to do what was right. It was fear. Fear is the driving factor here. He was afraid of defeat. He was afraid of failure. And ultimately, he was afraid for himself. He had too much fear. Too much fear of man. And not enough fear of God. 
Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You know, sometimes the threat of physical violence can lead us to compromise our beliefs. That is a real thing. It happens all over the world every single day. We don't know much about it here in America, but all over the world there are Christians who every single day live out the Christian life under the threat of physical violence for doing so. I think about the Bachman's ministry there in North Africa and some of the believers that they work with that they have faced physical violence, beatings, imprisonments, poisonings by their own family members simply because they decided to follow Jesus. But you know, for us, more often than not, it's not fear of physical violence. It's fear of being mocked, or fear of being marginalized, fear of being made fun of or ostracized that causes us to compromise. It takes so little for American Christians to compromise. Just a little bit of pressure sometimes, and it's like, well, okay, okay, all right, I'll, I'll back off a little bit. What a shame. Matthew 10, 28 and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We fear that people won't like us. Churches fear that they will be perceived as irrelevant. And so they compromise. They water down the, the gospel. They avoid controversy. They don't talk about those subjects because somebody might get offended. I don't know exactly where it happened along the line. But somewhere along the line, some Christians picked up the idea that the most important thing was to not offend anybody. Folks, the gospel is offensive to man's sinful nature. And you know, there were a couple instances where Jesus said stuff and his disciples came and said, hey, didn't you know they were offended by that? Look, if the truth offends, it is not the fault of the people who spoke the truth. It's the fault of the people who aren't believing and aren't living the truth. Look, we don't say things to be offensive. But when we speak the truth, it will offend those who do not believe the truth. We're not going to tailor our ministry to give people what they want. We're going to give them what God says they need. See, the kind of fear that would lead us to compromise the truth and to disobey is not the fear of God. It is the fear of man. It's based on weakness. It's based on wrong affections and desires. And it's based on wrong thinking. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I think the Apostle Paul is a great example of the kind of person who faced real danger, but did not let it cause him to compromise. Think about all that he went through. He was whipped on multiple occasions. He was stoned and left for dead. Some people say he actually did die. He might have. He was shipwrecked. On multiple occasions. He was imprisoned on multiple occasions. And did he let the dangers that he faced day in and day out be an excuse to compromise? No, he said this in Acts 20, 24. But none of these things move me, 
Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, it's not going to move me. Yeah, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem and yeah, they're going to arrest me. But that's okay. I'm not going to let that deter me. I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care if they don't like the message. I don't care if they would rather stay in their self-righteous religion. I'm going to do what is right. What it comes down to is a matter of trust. You know who Saul trusted? Saul. He trusted his ideas and his plan. He trusted in himself. How do I know that? Because he went directly against what God said and did what he felt like. He was trusting himself, thinking that he could offer this sacrifice and go through the ritual and that would somehow appease God and God would give him victory because of it. When you face danger, you have to decide, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust in man or are you going to trust in God? Psalm 91 and verse number 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Now look here in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14 with me. Let's notice again what Samuel said to Saul. The consequence of Saul's compromise was devastating. Saul said to him, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. He said, Saul, you were given a great opportunity. You were appointed to be the first king of Israel. And had you done what was right, God would have built upon your family line a dynasty that would have reigned for years and years and generations and generations. But you compromised. I know you excuse it by saying, well, they deserted me. I know you say, well, there was a delay. I know you say, well, there was danger. But that does not excuse disobedience. And so Saul... Thy kingdom shall not continue. God's going to find someone else. In fact, He already has. And as we saw on Wednesday night, it was at this time a, a young man by the name of David that God had already picked that would be raised up in Saul's place. Why? Because Saul compromised. God will not bless disobedience. You don't have to compromise. You can obey. Why? You say, well, everybody's deserted me. No, not everybody. God hasn't, and God won't. God has never deserted you. He will be with you always. You don't have to disobey. You say, well... It's been too long. The deadline's come and gone. It's too late. No, it's not. Wait on the Lord. And God will work in His time and do what He knows is best. You don't have to compromise.
You say, but there's a danger there, and if I don't do something, this bad thing is going to happen. You don't know that. No matter how real the danger may seem, you don't know the future. And God has promised to protect you. I remember one, one particular incident in my life, just to share a personal example with you of a situation where as I approached this situation I saw a lot of danger involved and as I was praying about the Lord's direction I felt very definite that the Lord would have me go in that direction even though there was danger involved it involved going and being involved in a certain ministry for uh, in a certain position and I had known enough about what was going on to know that there's some risk here. And I knew there were a lot of bad things that could happen to me and to my family. But I knew that this was where God was leading. And so I said, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you. I believe this is direction you're leading. So I'm going to follow you. Now you're probably thinking, so what happened? None of those bad things happened, did they? On the contrary. Every bad thing that I thought was going to happen did happen. And some things even worse. You say, so what's the point? Here's the point. The danger still came. I had to face the danger. But instead of the danger defeating me, God gave me victory over the danger. See, a lot of times we see the danger and we think, I've got to get around that. We've got to avoid it. A wise man see the danger and turn it the other way, right? We've got to get out of the way of this. But sometimes God says, no, you're going to face it. And you're going to watch me give the victory. And that's what God would do for Saul. He would give them victory. And the Israelites over the course of years would see many, many victories over the Philistines. And we think, oh, there's danger, I've got to do something, I've got to compromise to avoid the danger. Don't give in to the fears of the flesh. Trust God to deliver you and to protect you through the danger. What does Psalm 23 say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not around it. Through it. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Remember, there is never a good excuse to disobey God. 